It's the off-season, and we hate to say it, but we're happy to bring you Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan, joined by E.P. Rinkshot. E.P. Rinkside. Shap Shots. That was good, right? That was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Shap Shots. D Magazine. And the book is called We Win Here. Terrific Father's Day gift. And the author of that is Sean Shapiro. And we have reconnected. You get to spend some time um, with your family. Well, you actually went to the Stanley Cup. I did. I'm uh, I'm actually home right now for a little bit. Between uh, I will I was out in Vegas for game one and two earlier this week. I uh, took a red eye home after the game Monday night. There was uh, a lot of uh, let's just say as long as one team was winning big, I was a little bit more comfortable and not getting nervous about a overtime game stopping me from catching the red eye. So I, was, yeah. I, 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 I flew close to the sun and lived. So I did, I did that after with overtime <laughs> after game, after game one. And then uh, I will uh, catch up again with the series for game four down in Florida, but home for a couple days, we'll watch game three from the comforts of the couch tomorrow night and then watch uh, and then follow it. Then with EP ringside uh, cover in the final uh from four to the end, whether that's four or five, six or seven. So it was, uh, would have been more fun, obviously, if the stars were on this journey with us, but uh, it's, it's still, uh, it's still been fun at least. How do you think the stars would have matched up with Florida stylistically after seeing what Vegas has done in the first couple of games? Um, It's, it's going to hurt stars fans to hear this, but it's something where I think that Dallas would have had, Dallas probably would have been the better team against Florida. I think after seeing a couple of games, I think Florida is a team that is a um, Florida is a team that that is obviously a good team. They're they're in the final. They're in the final, but they are a team that is built largely on a couple of players. And the Stars would have been deeper than the Stars weren't as deep as Vegas but the stars would have been deeper than Florida. And we're seeing the uh, we're seeing within this, this series so far, we're seeing what really equates to a four line team in Vegas versus a two and a half line team in Florida. And that's been a huge difference in this series. And I think Dallas would have had a similar impact where we would have seen Dallas being a three and a half line team versus a two and a half line team. And, um, so for Stars fans, that's going to hurt because it's something where you go back to, we talked a lot about it throughout the Western Conference final. It's just the what if, to, what happens if Dallas doesn't turn the puck over at the end of game two? What if Jamie Benn doesn't lose his cool at the start of game three? It's it's one of those frustrating things because yep. they would have been in a really good spot to to win a second cup. And that said, Vegas, several points in this series already could have lost their cool. And yes, they could have. A- Specifically, uh, game two when you know Eichel got popped, um, mm-hmm. clean hit, uh, unfortunate circumstances. Awesome to see him back on the ice. That first shift back, that pass he made was sick. Um, yep. And it, you know, just the crowd went from silent. And when he even came back on the bench, and this is what I love about Vegas people. I'm sorry, Stars fans, because you guys are awesome fans too. But Vegas gets hockey. When he came back on the bench, they were cheering. So they pay attention, and that's uh, that's pretty awesome. So uh, I do want to give some kudos to Vegas, uh, Sean, just because of their composure. Um, their blue line is clearly showing. 
Um, and mm-hmm. Florida's just having a tough time, and we'll see what happens with Gudis. But that's a tough injury um, on an already banged up uh, Florida defensive uh, back line. So uh, it's gonna it's gonna be tough for Florida to come back. And uh, I just think you know Vegas is well coached, and it's it's almost like they well, I mean they you could tell that Bruce Cassidy had trained the Vegas players like don't take the bait. This is what mm-hmm. they're going to do. Just be you. Capitalize on their mistakes. It was just it's it's fascinating to watch. I feel like it's one team that you know this is what it feels like to me. One team is there for the first time and Vegas knows what to do. The right positions at the right time, knows when it's okay to, you know, get physical and at the same time lay back and just say we're not going to take the bait. Yeah, and I mean it's I think Vegas also it's kind of that uh it's the old quote that Teddy Roosevelt actually say it or was credited to Teddy Roosevelt, like the speak softly and like carry a big stick thing. Right. Like that's really what Vegas, Vegas's size and their defense. They, they really much are like that. And um, as this series has gone on through two games and everything like that with Florida, you've seen there's times where Matthew Kachuk was able to rattle other teams and Matthew Kachuk, even when he actually physically rattled (laughs) Jack Eichel with that hit, it didn't rattle. It didn't rattle Vegas, and Vegas has been really disciplined in that way. We saw, we saw it obviously firsthand when they played Dallas in the last round. How they handle these things. Um, to me, one of the bigger things about this whole like scenario is it's and part of it is and we can have a brief discussion about it. I think the officials have actually been a little bit harsh with the. With the the ten minute misconduct, yeah, they're throwing them but out I, there. Yeah, but I I think Vegas has done a pretty good job of, of the messaging internally has been to if the officials are going to be doing that, let Florida just hurt continue to hurt themselves and um talk about it. It's a team that's like it it's it right now. It, I know it's easy to say when a team is up two nothing, um, but like Dallas was down two nothing to Vegas and you felt like anyone could still win the series. It, was, it wasn't until game three where the inevitability set in that that Vegas was going to win in the cross-check by Jamie and Mark Stone. This series, it's hard. It it feels inevitable that that Vegas is going to win the Stanley Cup. It's just a question of whether, whether Florida steals a game or two. That's really what it feels like right now. So at Spits and Suds, we're all about you, the hockey fan here in DFW, and this is why we're doing these off-season shows because you guys rose to the occasion and you've increased the listenership of this podcast uh, amazingly, record numbers in May, and uh, thank you so much. So what Sean and I uh, talked about doing is is that each show will have things that we'll talk about, and it might be a deep stars dive. For instance, a couple of episodes forthcoming. We're going to talk about the goaltending situation, the wear and tear on Ottinger, the possibilities at backup goaltending, and Sean's going to do a deep dive analytically on that, and I'm excited about that. We're also going to get into the Ryan Suter buyout because a lot of people have been using that term, but we also want to explain what a buyout means. So that's going to be on a future episode. And so one of the great things, and this is why I'm excited to do these off-season podcasts. So uh, Ryan Baer, who is a passionate Stars fan, tweeted at me. And uh, thank you so much for supporting Spits and Suds. And he just simply said to me, and and this to me 
is why we're doing these shows, to take a step back and explain. He says the following, buy out Suter, trade Hockenpah, get Miro some needed help. Shock they overlooked their blue line for the majority of last season. Sign Domi and uh, Dodonov. Possibly look at trading Marchman and bring in Bertuzzi. So on the surface, absolutely love the passion. But when you break each one of those down, so many of those things can't happen. So that is a perspective of why I love doing spits and suds. So when we talk and we, we go around, we talked about, you know, the Stanley Cup. And as you just heard, Sean's perspective, if the stars were in it. And now we're going to get into different scenarios with the NHL and how it affects the stars. And, you know, maybe not every story affects the stars, but it's all part of the educational process. And I want to start with a massive trade yesterday. It was a three-team trade. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers trade Ivan Provorov to Columbus. It's a three-team trade with the Kings. The Flyers get, uh, and remember, Daniel Briere is the new Flyers GM, so he's going to want to make a lot of moves as they start the rebuilding process. The Flyers get the Jackets 22nd pick overall. They uh, get Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, Helgi Granz, and they also get either Columbus's 24th or 25th second round pick, and they get LA's 24, 2024 second round pick. So that's a massive trade. Tell us about Provorov, where you think he ranks as NHL defenseman. And the reason I ask this, Sean, is because a lot of Stars fans are like, we need to go out and get another defenseman. Well, where does Provorov lie in as far as defenseman? Because you see right there, a lot of picks given up and some assets the Stars don't have this year, as well as giving up some players. Yeah, um, it's a really interesting trade, too, because defenseman trades are... It's, it's, they, don't, they, they rarely set precedent for each other in a weird way. Like, goaltend, like if, you, if you lay out a goalie trade or a top-forward trade, all of a sudden it, you can start to see how they connect. But like... You look what Provorov gets moved for, and you look at what Chitkarin gets moved for, and like they, they don't correlate. It's very weird, and I think it's part of the reason is because the role of the defenseman in the NHL is is changing, and what some value versus some other. So it's not like as cut and dry um, when it comes to position of trade. So it's a very weird position when it comes to trade. Like I, I'm not a big Provorov, like I think Provorov's a fine defenseman, but I don't think I think he is a bit of a. I don't I don't I don't have how hold him in as high regards as clearly the Blue Jackets do or some other people do. I think I think Philly actually. I look at this trade and I think Philly did. I think Philly did a wonderful job in this deal because I think Provorov is is the type of player who he. He can eat some minutes and everything like that, but I don't really see. He's always seemed that you could find someone if you're building a team that's really trying to contend and win something. I would much rather have a guy like Chikrin who went to Ottawa. Obviously, um, I would rather have uh, Gavrikov who, like Columbus, went and got went and got Provorov, but they traded Gavrikov during the season to LA. I would have rather kept Gavrikov personally. I think he. So Provorov to me is something where like I some some coaches will find good use for him. I'm not the biggest Provorov fan. I just I just don't his game to me is a little bit overrated. I also think Philly to to get the number of picks they did to go into the rebuild like this. Um 
And then I think the big one that is, uh, I want to make sure I have his name right, the the prospect that you got from L.A. Um, what was his name? Uh, da, 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 make sure I have that right. Um, Helge Granz. Yeah. yeah. I talked to somebody who who looked at him as one of the, as either the King's second, uh, as either the King's, in their view, and either the King's kind of second or third best prospect. So to bring in a prospect who instantly becomes a top five prospect for Philly, like kudos to Danny Briere on your first trade on this and getting all of this done. I, I don't really understand the, um, I understand two, I understand why, uh, I understand why Philly did this clearly. I understand why LA did this. I don't like giving up Grands from an LA perspective, but they had to, the big one is they had to get out of that Cal Peterson contract, right? Like the Kings needed to get that contract moved. So um, the Kings get out of that, cleared up some cap space, cap space is King. I, I don't understand the Provorov deal from a Columbus perspective. Like I'm, I obviously Kekalainen must really like him, but to me, Provorov is a guy who I want if I Provorov is a guy who to me he's at best a second pairing guy and on a really really good team he's he, on, on a great team he's he he could even be a third pairing guy where he's a, he's a guy that you add to kind of add to that piece I don't really want to build my my top four around him and that that's kind of feels what Columbus is doing here with him and so I get every team's involvement in this and I'm sure someone in Columbus will jump down my throat and and, and think this is a great trade. But for me, I just, I don't really understand why Columbus was willing to spend so much on Provorov, especially when the market for defensemen can change so rapidly. I'd much rather spend what Ottawa spent to get Chikrin. I'd much rather spend what some other things have been spent on defensemen. It's, it's just kind of the, the weird nature of the defenseman market like defenseman trades are usually like operated and made more on feeling than actual hard fact because the hard fact of what one GM might feel about Ryan Suter versus another or what one feels proven for that. It's it's a very interesting trade overall, but it's hard to use as a market setter because of the nature of the position and the nature of the player where so I, I'm just not the big and and as as you can hear in my voice, like I think Provorov's a fine player. I just I just don't think he's worth this much in a trade market. Right. In the trade market. So. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to Daniel uh, Briere. Stick to oh, yeah. him. Oh I, my I god! Completely, yeah. yes. yes, yes, completely agree. And uh, it's going to be kind of a semi fire sale in Philly as they try to try to rebuild. And uh, the one the one I would caution them from trading on because i hear it pops up is i if i'm philly i'm not moving on from carter hart yet i agree that's the one that i keep seeing where like there's there could be there's there's some smoke there of 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 carter hart could be dealt and everything like that and that that one to me is you got time and in this rebuild in philly you got time to figure out what carter hart is so i would not be making that move yeah i'd like to see carter hart with a better uh defensive blue line in front of him and see how yes. you know because at times he's he's looked really really good. Um, yes. Okay. So the question is, does this trade, even though it hasn't been official, big news in NHL circles, Mike Babcock could possibly be, or what people are saying is the likely replacement in Columbus, which I find interesting because the Toronto contract is just about up on Mike Babcock. We have 
completely forgot that he was still under contract for Toronto for all these years, or at least I had. And, you know, after he left, Sean, there was a lot of chatter and not positive regarding Mike Babcock's Mm -hmm. coaching methods. Now, I will say in a sit down up in Canada, Mike Babcock was very forthright that he needs to change some things as far as his coaching styles. I guess that remains to be seen. So it's kind of interesting in a couple of things. Like, you know, I find it fascinating that Columbus is going back and picking Babcock when, you know, there might have been some other candidates out there. Um, I also find it interesting from a Johnny Gaudreau standpoint because the Blue Jackets star left Daryl Sutter in Calgary and chose Columbus over Philadelphia, over New Jersey, and wanted to be in Columbus. And I'm interested to see how Babcox, if he does in fact is officially named the head coach, how his style will match with Johnny Gaudreau. Well, he will be the head coach, right? Like it's there's enough. Yeah, we know a lot that's of happening. It's it, it's the the biggest deal. So the big thing about the Babcock deal is, and it's the reason why um, he's not officially the head coach yet is his contract. He signed an eight year deal with Toronto um, before the 2015-16 season. Mike Babcock has not coached in the league since it was uh, in the last three years, right? Yep. He's been, he's been making $6.25 million per year to not coach in the NHL the past three years. He's made $18 million to just – he hasn't even been seen at home. He took a uh, – he did some volunteer coaching with the Canadian college team, and the intent of doing the volunteer coaching was to protect that $6.25 million he was making per year. If he takes a job, a paid professional hockey job, anytime before June 30th, he forfeits some money. So the reason this won't be announced till July 1st is Mike Babcock wants to get every single penny out of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I mean, they've been, they were, he's, he's, he's banked 18 million in the last three years to not coach. He will be the coach. I understand Babcock has, um, spoken and said that he's changed and he has to change his style and everything like that. And I get that. It's very hard. Um, it's very hard for me to believe that without proof. Just because when you hear some of the people that talk about you, you hear what Mitch Marner said. You hear what Johan Franzen said. Guys who are pretty well respected in in their respective eras. And so, for for me, I I have a hard time believing Mike Babcock has quote unquote changed. Um, I even some doing something in an interview and everything like that. While it's a start, it's, you need to see some more proof to that. And I know they'll say, uh, he did some volunteer coaching with Canadian college. And honestly, if he really cared about changing his perception and his style and everything like that, like, I don't know. There's also something that sits odd to me about just sitting there and, even the whole timing of this of let's milk the money until July 1st when someone who has a reputation to fix, like if he had been like, if he had been let go and he had been done wrong by the Maple Leafs, of course, milk them for everything you got. But when you're the one who's got the reputation to fix and, and things like that, um, it almost feels a bit weird to me that he's been sitting there just collecting money as opposed to actually taking some action to, to, to do this. So I, it's, I don't, I mean, between 
<laughs> the you're right. The Goudreau thing is like it. Johnny Goudreau signed with Columbus to get closer to home. And I don't think this is what he would have expected, what he would have would have expected as his as his head coach in year two. Um yeah. So I um the Blue Jackets to me did uh the Blue Jackets taking a bit of the heel turn this summer was not something I would have expected. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's I, that it's happened. So I, I totally agree. And let's stay on the coaching carousel and get yeah. any thoughts that you might have. So, so far we have in Anaheim, Greg Cronin, who becomes a first-time NHL head coach, uh, was in the uh, minor leagues head coach. Peter Laviolette is no longer in Washington. Spencer Carberry, former player, uh, takes mm-hmm. over uh, in Washington. We talked about Mike Babcott. Here's an interesting one from Star's perspective. John Hines is ousted, um, and Andrew Burnett is the hire in Nashville. Andrew Burnett was uh, an assistant this year for Lindy Ruff in New Jersey. So mm-hmm. um, interesting about Andrew Burnett. Andrew Burnett, for those that don't know, was the coach of Florida. So mm-hmm. the high-scoring Florida Panthers, uh, which allowed Mason Marchman to get the contract that he did. So, uh, but they got ousted in the first round and Florida made the tough decision and they felt as though a new coach would take them over the top and, and it looks like it has. So interesting to see Andrew Burnett, uh, getting another shot in Nashville, in the division, what sticks out for you in this coaching carousel? Uh, well, the, the only surprise name that popped up was the Cronin hire to me. Um, and not that he's not that he's, he's, he's obviously been in the NHL for a long time, but when often you see these lists of future NHL coaches or this guy or whatever, like Cronin's name has never really been one that kind of got the media buzz. Like uh, Cadbury's uh, uh, Cadbury did. Um, so did um, obviously brunette was always going to pop up. The Babcock's name always recirculates, but Cronin to me is one who uh, had been as a, he'd spent the last six years in Colorado he did a pretty good job developing players there, helped them fill some pieces for a team that won a cup. Um, so he, he he's one who I'm not surprised he got a coaching job, but he was one who just he came kind of came out of the out of left field from the media speculation sphere. Um, a, I, the trend of brunette to me was a I think he got a real raw deal in Florida last year. I think they gave Florida when they they let him go and they. Uh, they looked at his coaching and Florida winning the president's trophy with him and everything like that. They, they gave so much credit to Joel Quanville. They basically in that Florida, Florida space at the time, they gave credit that basically he came in and continued to basically, he didn't really like, it wasn't really like they basically gave Joel Quenville a ton of credit that they couldn't publicly give Joel Quenville because obviously Joel Quenville was, was rightfully ousted for the the Kyle Beach incident and everything like that. So, um, so Brunette to me was one that I was I was hoping I would see get a head job and get another chance. Um, I'm interested. It was interesting to see that in in Nashville, just obviously with Barry Trotz as the GM, how the uh, how he's gonna he's starting to put his stamp on the team and to to uh, to really impact things. I don't think it's going to change much from a Dallas perspective. I think Nashville will change, will become a little bit more 
as a team you'll see more often. I think Dallas, Nashville will be a little bit more open, a little bit more offensive than they were under Hines. I agree. Um, I also think you'll see a couple. I think you'll see a couple teams start to play a little bit more offensively. I think the Ducks, who honestly they should. I mean, the team is bad. You, you, it's, it's. You're getting. You really need a. Um, the Ducks really need. The Ducks need to put some butts in seats. Like I think Cronin coached to style in Colorado. Will they get up and down? Um, the so I think I think there'll be some more. I mean, and plus they'll have they'll add Adam Fantilli to that team with with Zegras and and a couple and a couple other young good players. Like I think the Ducks made a good move. Um, and then I mean we should also touch on because you still have the the Rangers job is still open. And is that the what is there is there another one I'm missing right now? Um yes, Calgary. Calgary, yes. Yeah. The uh I you I, I look at the like right now, well obviously I guess technically Columbus is technically vacant, but we know that we talked about that. Um I look at the the Rangers job will be very interesting to see where they go on that because um I thought Gerard Gallant actually did a pretty fine job there, but that job is such a high pressure, high, high expectation job where it feels like there'll be, I mean, it feels like John Hines. It just feels like to me, like John Hines will end up in the Rangers job. Like I just, I just feel like they'll come to the point where they want to hire someone who they won't want to go too far outside the box. I just, I feel like we'll see that there. And I almost wonder if we'll see the carousel spin with Gallant going to Calgary. Um, and I wonder if, if I wonder if we'll see something like that to try to, to predict something on that, because um, it's there's, there's, there's the coaching carousel is. I, I was happy to see some coaches get their first job or in Burnett's case, their first job without the interim, but it's always inevitably will happen. There will be some rotating around. You know, um, I think you're right about Gallant possibly showing up in Calgary. It is it is interesting because I was pretty sure that former Stars forward Jeff Halpern might get a gig in the NHL this year, but that hasn't happened as of yet. Currently yeah, the Jeff's, assistant coach in Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, I heard he was he was someone who got some interviews for jobs. Yeah. Um, he is... Uh, but it took Derek Lalonde a couple of years as well to get a yeah NHL job. Yeah. So, I mean, it's as as I wouldn't surprise if he gets an interview somewhere. Yeah. But that's yeah. also yeah. Yeah, and so. we had a couple of new GMs to talk about. So mm-hmm. Craig Conroy was the longtime um, NHL player, and upon his retirement, joined the Flames organization in a management role, special advisor, then up to assistant GM, and he was officially named the GM of the Calgary Flames. So Calgary's in an interesting situation. Uh, from a star's perspective, you know, you always want to keep an eye on them for, you know, uh, the wild card race. Um, and they're kind of going through an interesting transition as a club, losing Kachuk. And, you know, I mean, I think they did what they could to get some pieces out of that deal, but awful tough when a player says they want out. And um, Kyle Dubas lands mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, and I'm a big Kyle Dubas guy, Sean. I don't know how you feel about him, but I thought he actually did a pretty nice job in Toronto. 
I'm just disappointed because, you know, on a personal level, one of the things that I really loved about the Kyle Dubas Toronto postseason press conference was he said, you know, I'm either back in Toronto or I'm going to take some time off because my family's gone through a lot. It's a high stress situation for my family and they come first. And I tweeted that out and I just said, I total respect for Kyle Dubas. And then he lands in Pittsburgh. And I was like, oh, man, like I get it. And things change and everything. And I just hate it when you when you like put that such a focus. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you're helping out. Well, Pittsburgh. well, OK, I want to I guess the important context is Dubas is not the GM. Right. He's the interim. He, he's yeah. the, he, no, no, he's the president of hockey. Operations. OK. All right. So tell I, me, I think, tell I think, me. I, I think there's an important I, I think there's an important context here. I think I think Dubas said i see myself in toronto and obviously he put that out there and then he toronto did not want him back after basically it sounds like there's a bit of a power play where dubas wanted more power in toronto and didn't get it and um i i don't think there is a uh i don't i don't think it's the same thing because it's not the same job it's not a GM job. It's a president of hockey operations. It's essentially full keys to the car from Fenway Sports Group, no oversight. And when Dubas said, I either see himself back in Toronto or taking time for my family, like, I, this to me is different because this is a job with full control. This is a job where he gets to set a department. He gets to do all of these things that he would not have gotten to do as the GM in Toronto. So I think that is an important thing on this, this front, because he's going to hire a GM. He will hire a GM to work under him and he will get to be, to, to, to define his role, how he wants and everything like that. And these president of hockey operation jobs, you talk about stability and family. So the Dubas family was going to have to move again at some point, no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they were going to leave Toronto after you leave Toronto that way, you're not working in the NHL again in Toronto. Um, they're gonna have to go somewhere. And these president of hockey operation jobs are very um they're bulletproof, honestly. They're bulletproof. You talk about job security long term. Who's the person who has to answer the questions to the media? Who's the person who is who gets the credit and the blame when a team wins? Who's the person that will uh who's who's the person that has to that has to go to has 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 to take trade calls. It's the GM. The present hockey operations can be as involved or uninvolved as they want. And in I honestly wouldn't be surprised if in this model, I think we're going more and more towards this model of people having two decision makers of a president of hockey operations and a GM, where the president of hockey operations is someone who basically is a lifetime position. Um, we see it in Vegas. Um, George McPhee is the president of hockey operations. Kelly McCrimmon is the GM. And he and, and George McPhee is well, it will be uh will be fine with that spot. And in Philly, they hired uh Keith Jones as a president of hockey operations. Danny Briere will um Danny Briere will be judged one way or the other, but Keith Jones will be the president of hockey operations and always have a hand in things, but he'll be safe. Um, I honestly just for if you want to connect this back to the stars, I really think this is the future of the stars organization too. I, I really think that Jim Nil will not 
whether it's whether it's at the end of the current contract, which he recently signed one, right? That goes through next season, I think. Yep. Um, whether whether it's at the end of that contract or the following one, I don't think Jim Nill's out as the star. I don't think Jim Nill is out of the stars. I think Jim Nill becomes the president of hockey operations for for the stars, and there'll be a GM working under Nill. I think this is the. I think you're going to see something like this in Dallas sooner than later, where someone who gets to run the department and be in charge and be the big picture guy but is not the GM. And I think that will happen in Dallas soon. And I think that's for Dubas. I think it was Dubas jumped ahead of the curve by getting to that role instead of looking for another GM job. So I don't, I, the Dubas one to me, I know there were some people in Toronto who had similar thoughts of like, Oh, he said he'd only be in Toronto or nowhere else or whatever. But to me, it's different. Like if, if, if I say something like, if you, if you say something in any profession where you'll be here or there, and then all of a sudden someone calls you and offers you everything you're looking for, you owe it to yourself as a human to look at it. I so, totally agree. I think then in the press yeah. conference, you probably should clarify and just yeah. say, you know, I mean, it would be nice just to say like, hey, I know I said this. This is an incredible opportunity. It's a different opportunity. And I spoke with the family and this is why they're excited. You know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, just, I, 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 I get that it, mess. It's minutia, but it just, I was just, I, I, I was just letting you know, like, like my yeah. personal thoughts, I was super excited because in sports, I know a lot of times families take second and I just thought yeah. it was really cool with a guy's job on the line that he was putting it out there that, Hey, my family's been through a lot and therefore, yeah. you know, my family takes first. So if he sat down with his family and his family was excited, I got no problem with it. I just, you know, that's. And that probably occurred. So it's all good. I just, I, you know, I tweeted it out because I thought it was unique. I thought it was different. Um, I know you're a big family guy, Sean, and I love that. You know, that's super cool. So I just love when people are like, hey, I got a job that takes a lot of my time. But at the same time, you know, my my wife and my children are first. Oh, 100%. I I really do. I do respect that a lot. And I also respect the, from the, family perspective where you look at for the Dubas family, they were going to have to move at some point. And I yep. go back to that where now they can plan on being in Pittsburgh for a long time where these GM jobs are more fickle. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I look at it that way. I, tough task will be, ahead. I do. I do wonder, I just, just, it's, I don't know if it's the job right away or not, but I do wonder if, if obviously someone who worked incredibly close with Dubas after he retired. And I do wonder if at some point in not too distant future, we see Jason Spezza as, in a pretty high ranking role with the Penguins because mm. he's someone who worked really closely with Dubas um, as an assistant to the G as a special assistant to the GM, someone who when Dubas was let go, Spezza quit the quit Toronto right away. And that's, I mean, Jason Spezza bled Maple Leafs blue and white, right? Like we heard those stories from mm-hmm. going home. And so for him to leave Toronto to quit the Maple Leafs the way to, to resign from the Maple Leafs that way, um, I would not be surprised if he is in uh working in Pittsburgh sometimes. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Sean. So keep your eyes on that uh hockey fans here in DFW. So finally I wanted to get into a contract that happened. Cole Caulfield of the Montreal Canadiens. Signs an eight-year, $63 million contract um, comparatively to the Jason Robertson contract. 
So Robertson's is much shorter. Uh, Robertson's is $7.75 million. At the time, it was a four-year contract, I believe. Caulfield is 7.85. So, I mean, very, very similar. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get your thoughts. I love Cole Caulfield. I think he's the chip, along with Nick Suzuki, that you build around in Montreal. Um, I did find it interesting. And so I wanted you to talk about Caulfield. And I wanted to get your opinion on the following as well as the second part. So Caulfield gets a modified no trade clause beginning in 2028, 29, which I thought was pretty far away. Uh So for stars fans, I see Essa Lindell under a no movement. You know, we know about Sagan and Ben and they were big when they signed the contract. But then I see like clauses in um, like Mason Marchment's contract. Do you feel as though Stars management kind of throws in trade clauses or a little too early, or is this the norm going around the NHL? I think the Stars use them more. How the Stars use them is more effective as a, um, like some teams do not use no trade clauses, right? Like the Nashville Predators were pretty famous until uh, Pekka Rene and Philip Forsberg got them. Never gave out no trade clauses at all. It's just something David Poyle didn't do. Um, Jim Nill is a very, he brings his loyalty to the table when he talks to people. And Jim can be very loyal to a fault at times. And part of that comes in with how he's willing to give players no trade and no movement clauses. Um it's one of the ways Jim wants to differentiate himself from some of the other, like in the NHL, when you have advantages, you got to use them. So Dallas, Nashville, Tampa, Florida, Vegas. Is that it for the no state? Ta- those are the five no state tax teams, right? Am I missing one? I think those are the five. I think yes. those are the five no state tax teams. Yep. So. Those teams have the advantage of no state tax where Jason Robertson's contract in Dallas is worth much more, even though he's making a 7.75 for Jason, right? Is a little bit a less cap hit, but he's actually making more than Cole Caulfield yep. this year with, with you taking to Montreal and Quebec tax, uh, Quebec and Canadian taxes and everything like that. Um, so of the, those teams in the, the non-state taxes, the Vegas's, the Florida's, the Nashville's. But Dallas is really the only one that throws around the no trade clause. Uh, and that's one of the things that players like Joe Pavelski notice. It's one of the things that um, I'm sure if when having the discussion with Evgeny Dadanov, he will definitely notice it because he was traded out of Vegas when they, 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 tr- they tried to trade him twice. They voided his no trade, tried to void his no trade clause. Um, so it's, I think there's, I, I think there needs to be some more restraint in how the stars do it. Um, I don't think a full don't give out no trade clauses policy is good because it goes against a bit of the, the loyalty ethos that does bring some players here. But I do think there is a bit of a, there needs to be a better restraint and understanding of uh of when and how to use it. Like um, if Cole Caulfield had gotten this deal from Jim Nill, it would have been, there would have been 
he would have had way more trade protection. That's just the way Jim operates. And I think finding a bit of restraint there. Um, I I mean, onto the Caulfield deal itself. I think it's going to look really good in a couple of years. Yep. Like I, I not, and I think it's a, maybe the value for Caulfield with the current flat cap, it's only going to go up a million dollars next year. Maybe it's going to be a bit much, but the Canadians are rebuilding. It's fine. I think paying Caulfield seven, eight, 7.8 and 20, 20, 27, 28, 28, 29. I think that's like, that's going to look like a great deal for Montreal. That's where this deal is going to really allow the Canadians with some of their other younger players to have the space to get that other piece to really contend. Where on the flip side, um, the stars are going to have to pay, they're going to have to pay up for Jason Robert, like Jason Robertson bet on himself. And with what Jason Robertson did this season and what we expect Jason Robertson to do the next three seasons on, on his deal, Jason Robertson is going to make a lot more money in the long run by signing the shorter deal. And it's uh, there's different ways to go about it. And it's it's interesting to see the Caulfield deal is one where it's like a Cole Caulfield's look of who Cole Caulfield's agent is because obviously Kent Hughes is the GM in Montreal. He's a former agent and um, it's the type of deal. Cole Caulfield signed the deal that you typically, Oh, Pat, Pat Brisson is his agent. Okay. Cole Caulfield signed the deal that most agents would like, you would feel like the agent would be like, Hey, let's take the three to four year deal and get ourselves more max earning where it feels like the, um, um, Kent Hughes in, in Montreal, the GM there being a former agent kind of pulled, pulled a fast one over a former, not colleague, but competitor, I guess it feels like almost, but I love Caulfield. I love his game. I think he's going to be a great player, especially as the game gets faster and faster. And this deal is going to look really, really good yeah. for Montreal in three to four years. And I will say this, like at the time when Sagan was signed and Ben were signed, you know, and they're still really good players, but you know, they were, performing really well at the time. So, you know, that's what happens. And you're betting on Amiro Heishkinen just to continue getting better. You're betting on a, a Rope Hints because I'm sure there's not many Stars fans that wouldn't say Rope Hints and Miro Heishkinen and Jason Robertson and Jake Ottinger are not worth those deals that they currently have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. So to end, Sunday, June 18th is Father's Day. And there's a book that Amazon rates as five stars called We Win Here. And there's plenty of time still to get it. And I wanted to ask, because I don't want to give the whole book away, but there's some great stories uh, about what's going on at in Cedar Park and some of the great stories of your current Dallas stars and, you know, the Texas stars. Tell us about Max Fortunas, because... He's a player that a lot of Stars fans know the name but don't really know the depth of the story. And you guys go into it as far as him being a quote-unquote Texas Stars legend, let's just say. He is. I mean, he is. I mean, it's – and it's. please buy the book, everyone. Please read the book. It's it's a really good read, I say, is my biased opinion. But the um, – <laughs> it's uh, – so Max Fortunis to me is – 
for a long time, people would look up to the rafters in, in Dallas and wonder why 56 wasn't retired. And to me and Stephen Meserve, who was my co-author on this book, Max Fortunis, you look up to the rafters in Cedar Park and you'll wonder why 18 isn't retired. 18 should be right up there next to number 23, Travis Morin's number. Travis Morin is obviously the greatest player in franchise history. Uh, but Max Fortunis is the... The goal and point of an AHL team is to grow and build younger players for your NHL team. Um, if you win some games along the way, that's great. Texas Stars were able to do both because of players like Max Fortunas. He was the captain. He was the longest serving captain in team history. Uh, when the team won the Calder Cup, he was the captain. He is. He will probably be in the AHL Hall of Fame. Um, it's uh I would imagine every year they induct for for and he will probably be an AHL Hall of Famer um at some point here sooner than later. What Fortunas to me, the great thing about what Fortunas brought was he was always that piece that allowed he could be your top he could be your top pairing defenseman in Texas, or he could be your third pairing guy. He always played the role that allowed the prospect and the young kid to take the next step. He never got in the way. He always helped the guy move up. He understood what his job was. And it was just, and he was one of the best humans that you could have your players develop around. And it's the reason he's an assistant coach with Texas now. Like he's an assistant coach with Texas because, because of that and, and how he helps develop players and, and everything like that. And he was doing that. And he was also really, he was also a pretty damn good AHL player too. And there was uh about half he played half a dozen games in the NHL and he could have easily been a third pairing guy in the NHL that bounced uh, like kind of like a seven, eight, like a seven, seven, eight guy on an NHL roster and bounced around and, and played some more NHL games, but just never got those breaks and just instead really cultivated, <laughs> cultivated a culture. What a silly way to say, raise that, but cultivated a culture in, in Texas where a lot of the Texas Stars' success that you see on a daily basis because of what Max Fortunas did. And to me, for that reason, number 18 should be retired in Texas. So, Absolutely. And Sean and RJ on 105.3 The Fan, just a sidebar, Sean, um, we're doing due to the unfortunate Tommy John surgery that Jacob deGrom has to have, and we won't see him till late next year. Um, so they did a subject today on worst contracts in DFW. And I texted them and I said, Martin Hansel, signed by the Stars in 2017, three years, 14.25 million, played in only 45 games over three years, 12 points total. That's over a million per point. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's. I was just trying to think of like old stars that would be known as bad. Uh, Alec Hemsky probably would be another one. Um, I mean, really good player, just never could stay on the ice. Yeah, but I mean that was he's he okay. Still, yeah, yeah. I mean the not as much of because he didn't sign the contract with Dallas, but there is some. Um, in the summer of 2017, the Stars make a big deal of bringing in Martin Hansel and Mark Mathot, and the yeah. two of them standing side by side and everything like that. And they just, uh, I think, combined they played less than 100 games combined for the team. I think it was. <laughs> so <laughs> it was. Uh, but hands is a really good one. Um, the yeah, hand, I mean, you look at hand, hands, hands is a really good one from a Dallas perspective of a deal that some people 
predicted could have gone wrong. I mean, the other one that's just like really bad is the, um, and it wasn't necessarily the money with it was how poorly every, actually, you know what? It's the, to me, it's hard to not look at the, uh, what happened with the Sean Avery deal. Oh right? yes. Yes. That's a good like, one. Yeah. Like it was like four years, 16 million or something yes. like that. And he, uh, early on gets suspended about talking about people talking about his sloppy seconds and yes. And that, and then the stars <laughs> stars literally waved him and he, uh, so he, yes, uh, yes. Interesting character. Yes. So, yeah, no, ab- absolutely. That's uh, that's funny. The other star's name, and it wasn't a big contract. I was just thinking of random like stars that we were really excited about. Um, Fabian Brunstrom mm-hmm. in that first game he had where he was like, I remember it was like a bidding war between Detroit and Dallas, and Dallas got him in that first game. I think he had four goals um, and just, mm-hmm. you know, just never became the yeah. NHL player we wanted to. But uh, that that's was just not, a yeah, that, yeah. That's not a bad contract, though. So that's no, uh, no, no. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I thought it was yeah. an interesting topic. It blew up on the air. Yeah, lots of like, you know, different yeah. names being thrown out, and uh, they did get the Hansel contract. I just thought like over a million dollars a point. Wow, that's uh, that's <laughs> yep. that's pretty yep. amazing. So, my friend, I'm glad your wife is still with you after our post game <laughs> shows. Um and. Uh, Keep telling her my sincere apologies, but it's good to have you back, partner. It's been fun, and we will, uh, as you know, what it's the off season, but we'll still have some good hockey conversation, Gavin. So yeah, no, absolutely, we're we're excited about giving you some deep stars dives, which will happen. But we wanted to get you all of this NHL information, and we'll also, you know, when the NHL uh, silly season seems like it's already begun, but the silly season as far as UFA signing and stuff like that, we'll have special podcasts there as well. So for Sean Shapiro, I'm Gavin Spittle. Thank you so much for listening and supporting and subscribing and telling your friends about Spits and Suds. Have a great day, everyone.